Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's a high dudgeon day for the Trump trashing press. And around 9.30 Eastern time this morning, all the networks were running live video with captions like, Trump to arrive at courtroom. So historical. It's like I was waiting for Trump unbuckles seatbelt, examines his zipper. XYZ news is defined on a second by second basis. Trump ties shoe. But it's really anything that seems to embarrass Trump and make him throw tantrums in private, that's their favorite story. It just can't get enough of it. We wouldn't say it's not newsworthy. You know, everybody always wants to say, well, Tim, he is the first president to be tried for fraud in exaggerating his resorts and real estate towers and stuff. Okay. But it's this whole cycle where To get Trump, everything is a new thing. And Trump has never, you know, gone away. Like George W. Bush, they hated with red hot hate. And then he basically retired to Texas. And then they were all like, okay, we don't hate him now. That's not the way it's been with Trump. Trump obviously said he was running again. Uh, But the, the red hot hate is all over today. Very typically, CNN this morning noted that Trump is facing New York's attorney general in court. Those are the words they use. No mention that Letitia James is a Democrat. No mention she ran explicitly for her office on a platform of getting Trump, capital G, capital T. So in other words, she's about as nonpartisan as CNN itself. Listen. Trump is expected back in court in just hours as the New York Attorney General's fraud case against him heads to trial. He's accused of a decades-long scheme to enrich himself by inflating the value of properties that launched him to fame. Now, I noticed the same pattern with Robert Costa on CBS. Just can't say the D. Rich Noyes did a study that found in six evening stories on Tish James, no one used the D. It's pretty much the same pattern with Fonnie Willis in Georgia, and Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. We found ABC and CBS never ID'd Willis or Bragg with a D tag. That means NBC is the comparatively naughty one that fully disclosed the party of these prosecutors a time or two. Also in Trump trashing news, if you missed it, Fox News reported a former consultant with the IRS has been charged with disclosing former President Trump's tax returns to the New York Times while he was in office. The Justice Department identified the suspect as Charles Littlejohn, 38, a Washington, D.C. resident. In a federal complaint, the DOJ said Little John disclosed the tax returns of thousands of the nation's wealthiest individuals to news organizations and tax information associated with, quote-unquote, a high-ranking government official to a different news outlet. Fox News was told the second news organization that received stolen tax information is pro-publica, and we know how much they hate Republicans. 
So what happens is the leaker sometimes gets caught, sometimes gets prosecuted. Now, once again, you can hear all the Democrats in the media saying, see, the Justice Department's actually prosecuting a leaker who tried to damage Trump. Well, okay, well, let's see how this goes. But uh, it, it's always kind of funny that the leaker is going to get prosecuted and the leak recipient, always innocent. It doesn't matter if it takes stolen information and discloses it. That's the wonders of democracy. The leftists in the press are also excited at the start of the week about threats to Speaker Kevin McCarthy's job. Let's face it, these media Democrats just love trashing the Republicans as a chaotic mess. Listen to this clip. This is uh, MSNBC's Jonathan Lemire dumping the partisan acid on Morning Joe. It's going to be a long 45 days for him. Yeah, very long 45 days. And this is a moment, Jackie, where it's clearly, this is not Washington dysfunction. This is Republican dysfunction. This is GOP on GOP. Oh, it's GOP on GOP violence. I was driving into the office listening to NPR, National Public Radio. Here's your headlines at the top of the hour. Several times they discussed the two parties as you know, the hardline Republicans did this and the Democrats say this. Yes, the two parties, the hardline Republicans and the Democrats. Democrats can apparently never be hardline, not when you have a hardline Democrat media. But, you know, this is the thing that always befuddles me a little bit about these shutdown threats. You know, the Democrats go around swaggering saying, we never had a shutdown. Yeah, that's because you think of yourselves as the party of never-ending spending. Uh, always building the national debt trillions and trillions at a time. There's never anything known as excess. There's never anything known as extreme. There's never anything like a hard line. Now, obviously... If the Democrats weren't hardline and were willing to compromise with the House Republicans on spending limitations, there ain't going to be a lot of spending reduction here overall. You're talking about limiting the growth of government by a few ticks. Democrats don't want that. They resist it. They'll say it's a non-starter in the Senate. So it's the House. Since the House can't pass it in the Senate, they're all the hardline extremists. What they're supposed to do is say, yes, sir, Chuck Schumer, whatever you say, sir. That's the way the media wants it. But you do get the sense the Democrats and the networks are a little bitter that this government shutdown was averted. They were all prepared. You know, they spent days and days telling us about all the things that we would suffer if there was any stop in government money to anything. This is apparently like a, a, just an unmitigated disaster. Then it doesn't happen. And even then, it's like they'd already pre-written all the manifestos they were going to write about how damaging it was. You could watch Robert Reich, as Rush Limbaugh would put it. Why are you putting the socialist economist on television? CBS Sunday Morning just aired a commentary like, and now, context and perspective, as Dan Rather would put it. And now, little Robert Reich is going to attack mega-extremists. 
And he ended the whole thing with an appeal to vote for Democrats. Of course he did. This is what CBS News is. It's a Democrat Party publicity operation. And of course, he listed all the things that they sort of wanted to happen. Oh, it's the end of food safety inspections. Oh, there goes the clean water protections. Oh, Republicans hate nutrition programs for children. Somehow, Kevin McCarthy stopped this from happening, and they're a little upset. Nonetheless, Rice says the blame falls squarely on the MAGA extremists. Hard right House Republicans would have taken America hostage. But guess what? Somehow they didn't. So now uh, Kevin McCarthy's in danger. They like that too. This is the whole thing is let's make sure the Republicans explode on impact. That's our job. We call it news. Everybody else knows it's not. Now, the networks could have had point-counterpoint, or they could have had a liberal and a conservative or a socialist and a conservative sort of agree. Mark Levin's been savage about this break-off faction of House Republicans who are, who are you know, trying to threaten McCarthy on the shutdown. He could have had time on CBS, but this was just CBS airing the socialist because that's where they are. They really want to make sure we underline Republicans hate children and want them to starve. That was not it in terms of CBS Sunday morning. I, I'm not even going to get to the part where they do a big profile of Joan Baez. Joan Baez hasn't been relevant since like 1972. She is 82 years old. Folk singing has kind of gone away like with... Peter, Paul, and Mary and the Smothers Brothers, <laughs> but CBS is still doing stories on it because they're a pack of leftist ex-hippies. Then there was also the segment from Robert Costa. There's no such thing as a conflict of interest when it's time to puff the media. Robert Costa, who worked for Martin Barron when he was executive editor of the Washington Post, gets to do a story with Martin Barron when he has a new book it's called Collision of Power, Trump, Bezos, and the Washington Post. Oh, this will excite all the liberals. It's another Trump trashing special where Martin Barron gets to discuss, oh, how righteous we were in pursuit of the truth with a capital T. And, of course, you know how craptastic it was because it led off with a movie clip from Spotlight where Martin Barron is played by Lee Schreiber. And he's the hero that says, let's really screw with the Catholic Church. That's what we're going to do. Hey, reporters, don't go after individual priests. We need to go after the institution. Well, why would that be? Well, obviously there was priests abusing children. That's a problem. Yeah, no, the problem with the Boston Globe was they were all like, no, the, the Catholic Church is going to stand in the way of our abortions and gay marriage. They have to be taken down a peg. And, of course, Robert Costa, because he's shining Martin Barron's shoes, says, what did that searing experience of covering the Catholic Church in Boston do to inform you when it came time to cover Trump? What a softball. Barron loved it and informed me we always have to confront power. We always have to hold power to account. What? 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 Anybody who buys this. Yes, the Washington Post, always holding the, <laughs> the Democrats to account. Yes, the Boston Globe, 
under Martin Barron was brutal on Teddy Kennedy and John Kerry. I'm sure of it. Martin Barron was still at the Washington Post in 2020 running the show when the uh, Hunter Biden laptop came out in the New York Post. What did the Washington Post do? Nothing. It took them till 2022 after Martin Barron left, said, see ya, that they were going to actually admit, hey, maybe the laptop was real. One juicy unknown detail, apparently, in Barron's new book is Trump met with Bezos and Barron and some other Post leaders in June 2017 to complain about the paper's coverage. Obviously, that meeting was utterly pointless. The Post never changed their tone. I suppose it's not a terrible thing to attempt to influence them. Barron was upset because Trump was trying to be charming. He didn't see. He saw right through that business. Yes, Martin Barron wanted to make sure it was their job to punish Trump, to nail him to the wall, and they weren't going to be charmed out of it. And, of course, Barron trashed the rest of the media for giving Trump a platform in 2015. No commentary in between. No contradiction of the falsehood and lies. Really? I would tend to disagree with that. I think they'd run the, the, uh, they'd run the speeches live and they'd trash him afterwards. Does Martin Barron actually think when he said, you know, John McCain, I like, I like uh, soldiers who weren't prisoners of war. Do you, think, do you think that they didn't add context and perspective in real time? They did fact-checking in real time. Yes, they did give him lots of gassy live coverage. I'll agree with that. Was that irresponsible? Eh, it was certainly unfair to the other candidates. You know, he was the only one that was getting this wall-to-wall coverage. And why? Because the Democrats thought he was easiest to beat. Anybody who doesn't think these people were all calculating, along with the Clintons, that this guy was the one that would be easy to beat. So they gave him piles of live coverage. And then he won, and they went, Uh-oh, this is not how it was supposed to turn out. Yes, and then, uh, then of course, Marty Baron tells the story about how Trump screamed at him and said everything the Post is doing is a big, fat lie. Now, that's not true. Some of it was a big, fat lie, like Russian collusion, like promoting the Steele dossier. But, of course, Robert Costa was a kiss-up. He wasn't going to ask any challenging questions about things the Washington Post got wrong in 2017 or 2018 or 2019 or 2020. No, he at the end, Marty Baron gets to say, you know, in response to Trump saying everything they're doing is a big fat lie. That's not true. We were doing our job honestly and honorably. We had an absolute obligation to hold politicians to account including the President of the United States, it's our highest obligation. Once again, no, you deserve a fact check. You are not hard on Democrats. You have not been hard on Biden, either before or after Marty Barron. You know, just the idea that these people are like, we hold everybody accountable. Nobody should buy that. And so, you know, really, this was like a six-minute commercial for Martin Barron's book. Then came Face the Nation later in the morning. The big guest, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House. Now, usually, I kind of like Margaret Brennan. I mean, she asked AOC 
a week ago about her Tesla. She embarrassed that she bought a Tesla. It's made in non-union uh, factories. And then AOC had to try to backtrack and say she's going to find a more progressive electric automobile. At least that was something. At least that was something that was mildly embarrassing to a Democrat. Uh, but, you know, you, you could just look at this. Uh, she reminded me of Chuck Todd on Sunday. She was interrupting McCarthy, like, in the middle of sentences. He could barely get a word out. And uh, then she had Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, a Democrat. And, of course, Governor Hochul gets to talk for, like, paragraphs. You know, Margaret's just sitting there polishing her nails while the Kathy Hochul talks. She doesn't feel the need to be like, but, 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 no, you don't get to finish a sentence. No, you're wrong. You're a liar. You know, I mean, and, and the same thing when uh, uh, Margaret Brennan interviewed Hakeem Jeffries, the House Democrat leader, in May, he was allowed to unspool for paragraphs at a time. This was also the Chuck Todd thing. He'd like scream at Ron Johnson, wouldn't let the conservative Republicans get a word in edgewise. And then the Democrats would come on and it'd be like, all right, I'm going to ask you a question, then I'm going to go brush my teeth. So, I mean, this, you know, at least in this case, Kevin McCarthy was really not letting her have it, you know. And he tried to say when it comes to blaming one party for the shutdown, he said the Senate has hasn't done one thing. And she was like, but, but, but in the House, are we going to face another shutdown November 17? He said no, because the House is doing their work. So compared to this, the Senate, the Senate hasn't passed one bill. And then Brennan comes back with, mmm, mmm, mmm. the House hasn't passed anything about the border that could actually become law. He says, yes, we have. He said, not that could become law. So basically, if the Democrats won't pass it, the House is hopeless. Now let's turn that around the other way. Then isn't the Senate, Senate a hapless pile of Democrats because the House won't pass what the Senate likes? You know, news media people should be able to look at this and say, you have a divided Congress. To get anything done, you're going to have to compromise between the Republican majority House and the Democrat majority Senate. Both majorities are pretty narrow. Maybe there's not a lot of appetite for compromise, but at some point you have to pass stuff. But they didn't ever want to get in. In all this coverage of the shutdown, they were always talking about how you're going to starve kids and deprive them of their, I don't know, Happy Meals and cheese curds. Not that not the government pays for the Happy Meals, but you know what I'm saying. They're always going to point out where everybody's going to suffer. And they never seem to think these massive spending programs might have led to inflation, which is, guess what, caused people to suffer. But that's unintentional. When the Democrats destroy the economy, that was unintentional. Their, their intentions were good. But it's just this, it is an annoying pattern that a Republican has to come on and they have to know that they're basically going to get into a bickering match. If these people say they don't like it in debates, then they, the moderators of these programs should be moderate and let somebody finish a sentence. I mean, I just think that that's one of those things where the networks demonstrate that when they bring Republicans on, it's all about they're afraid of Democrats on Twitter saying they're weak. You know, it's the same thing. Like every time Andrea Mitchell's trending on Twitter, it's because she's 
worthless. She might as well go to Fox. I mean, that, and I think, I feel like that's the way their questioning goes, is they're so afraid of liberals and leftists and Democrats on Twitter saying they're worthless, that they're too Republican. So they're way rougher on the Republicans. They don't let them finish. They're basically rude. They have no manners whatsoever. They have no patience. You'd think journalists are supposed to have patience, you know. Marty Baron was doing this whole thing with Robert Costa. We should be generous in listening to them, hear everything they have to say. Yeah, no. Maybe if you're in print journalism and nobody's watching you, you can let people talk for two minutes, but not on television. No, on television you need to interrupt and scream at them so everybody knows you're on the right side of history. Then CBS at, at night. Haven't we had enough CBS? What kind of DNC schedule is this? Then came 60 Minutes with Merrick Garland. What about Merrick Garland? Well, CBS interviewer Scott Pelley, this is the same guy who was anchor of the CBS Evening News when the whole collusion thing broke. They had no shame about that. You know, they treated collusion just like Dan Rather treated George W. Bush in the draft. It was like guilty, you know, before proven innocent. Uh, it, it's, you know, he would come on and say, mm, the new president today has denied reality. Yeah, that that's what you get from CBS. Regular reporting is for losers. Editorializing is king. And the real moment in this Merrick Garland interview, obviously the main intention of this was to say, uh, Mr. Garland, uh, the Republicans say you're biased. And he's like, no, no, we're very nonpartisan. We don't take that into consideration at all. You know, more, it's like Marty Baron it, all over again. Oh, we hold everybody accountable. Okay. <laughs> but the real low point was, of course, uh, Scott Pelley uncorking this line, uh, you had several relatives who were killed in the Holocaust. Is that what inspired your search for justice? <laughs> you know? I mean, Mayor Garland, I'm sorry, drags this out all the time, and then he starts to sniffle. It's very much like Joe Biden going, and then my son died in Iraq, you know, <sighs> He drags it out. Merrick Garland dragged out the Holocaust as confirmation. He dragged out the Holocaust in a softball interview with NPR. Here he is. He did it on the uh, in his testimony the other day in front of the House. Here he is again on 60 Minutes. But it's Scott Pelley throwing the softball. Please tell us about the Holocaust and your relatives. We'll, uh, we'll close up on your face when you start to tear up. I mean, come on, you know. And uh, then, of course, Pally's like, you know, what's going to happen in the history of this extraordinary time? And Mayor Garland gets to say, you know, we've done our best. We're going to pass on a Justice Department that continues to pursue the rule of law and protect it. It's the same thing every generation has to hope that we can pass our democracy on in working order to the next generation that picks up the torch. You know, blah-dee, blah-dee, blah. The whole idea that this Justice Department is independent or that what it's doing is pro-democracy can very much be challenged. But Scott Pelley and CBS 
can't put in 30 seconds of somebody offering a point, an opposing point of view. Guess what? You know, all these indictments of Trump suggest you're hostile to democracy. It's all about, and, and Pelly said this as the opposing point of view, like, well, you know, the other guys say that this is meant to destroy Trump. Well, either that or it's meant to make sure Trump wins the nomination, because that seems to be what it's actually doing at this juncture. But yeah, 60 Minutes, we did a, we did a, a study a years ago called Syrupy Minutes, and it was all about how uh, they were very puffy-puffy with Barack Obama. Katie Couric did suck-up interviews with Hillary Clinton. You know, Republicans like John McCain got the third degree, and Democrats got love, and that is still the pattern when it comes to 60 Minutes. So the weirdest thing is when they try to come off like 60 Minutes is this hard-hitting investigative. No. No, not when it comes to their friends. It's a marshmallow factory. It's ridiculous. So that's just one day in the life of CBS quote-unquote news. All the propaganda they can get on television. So, you know, it's all there for you on the Internet. And it's at Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.